Ladies and gentlemen, before we get started on this episode, it's important to remember that we need to be empathetic and understanding of every single guest that I have on this show. So that way they understand that they can share this stuff without having any backlash coming from the community. I think it takes a lot of bravery for someone to come on this show and be able to tell about heart-wrenching things that occur. So please be understanding, empathetic, and supportive to my guests. If you enjoyed this content, it would really help me out if you did three things. You followed me on Twitter, you subscribed to me on YouTube, and you share out this video to any of your friends who might also enjoy this content. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Deep Dives into the Minds of Esports. My name is Blake Panashevitz, and today I am followed by one of the best-dressed men I think I have ever met. Also, an amazing host and shoutcaster. Please let me welcome James Jamerson Lee. Welcome to my show. Hey, thanks for having me. I always wondered how to pronounce your last name. I was just always too shy to ask, <laughs> but it's great to know that's how it's pronounced. And let me, one more point, best dressed. That's going to have to always go to similar. Come on, let's be real. Uh, I said one of the best dressed. Okay, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Okay. So, uh, similar is also a very attractive man who dresses very, very well. So I will have to, and he always has awesome bracelets on that, like I'm kind of jealous of, so. Yeah, he's six something, best dress. Yeah, yeah. I, what can you do? You know, the man's living life. Yeah. So I'm super excited to have you uh, on the show, especially considering that recently um, you were not picked up for the contender. So there's going to be lots of things that we can talk about. Um, we're going to definitely talk about some of the esports stuff. But I think more importantly, especially with this show and what I tried to cover, is you as a person. And there's definitely been some stuff out there um, about you that is very personal that you've put out. Um, and I think that's really amazing. And I think it offers an opportunity for people to see that as inspiration or to maybe get a different outlook and life events that they're going through themselves. So I'm very excited. There's lots of stuff that we're going to cover. I'm going to start it off kind of easy because I, I think that that's a good thing to do. So your Twitter tag is Jet Set Jamerson. Okay. Did you get that gamer tag from Jet Set Radio? Yes, just a hundred percent. Yes. Um, the first part is that like, so my original like gamer tag was just Jamerson, but once I started going onto social media and like trying to sign up for like Twitch and Justin and everything like that, I couldn't get just Jamerson. So for a while, it was actually quotes just Jamerson. Um, after a while, I didn't like the sound of it because, you know, I don't know, I wanted a bit more of a ring to it. And uh, I think I was watching like it was a Jet Set Radio, um, a Jet Set Radio speed run or something at the time. And I was like, yeah, actually, I love that game. It sounds great with my name if I put Jet Set Jamerson together and just all kind of stuck. I mean, dream like the Dreamcast days were some of my favorite days in gaming just because um that's when like my neighbors and I would like really play together. And like, that's how I made a lot of my close friends back when I was like in middle school. Um, and Jet Set Radio was one of the games that like we all bonded over because well, the game was fun. The music was a lot of fun. It was a different kind of game too, that like, you know, you weren't used to, there were lots of shooters, there were lots of fighters, but then you're going around like, vandalizing towns and then you know like getting into dance battles like or like skating battles and stuff like it was it was really cool uh and so yeah it just rung true with me and then it all just kind of stuck and it works out well okay 
I'm, I'm happy I was able to... I don't know if you've ever told me with that before, but as soon as I saw your name, I was like, and your color scheme, too. Because I think your color scheme is actually very similar to the game as well. I was like, this has got to be from Jet Set Radio, which was an amazing game on Sega Dreamcast. Oh, yeah, so. uh, the thing about my... Uh my my logo currently um you can see it on the banner of my twitter and also like my um icon for twitch it was a logo that was uh commissioned by i commissioned my good friend nibs to make it so for a lot of you guys familiar with nibs um he used to play a lot of early overwatch and now he's moved on to streaming other games but yeah he's an amazing graphic designer works at asus and he put that together for me uh, over a weekend, so I'm glad that he was able to do that for me. Yeah, it's, it looks really good, so that's why I was wondering. So, you mentioned uh, video games being important to your life and kind of making your friends. One of the cool things that I kind of learned about you when I was uh, doing my research on you is you moved around quite a bit, right? So, how many times did you move around and from like, like, explain your growing up and what it was like to move around in these different areas? Yeah, definitely moved around a lot. Um, There's a lot of like family troubles at home. And so like was going back and forth between all these different places. Um, I was born in LA, but we ended up moving to Seattle really early on. My dad, uh, because he is of Korea's, uh, Korean citizenship, um, had to go serve in the military. He had me super young. He had me like when he was like 20. Um, and you have to serve, I believe it's most people want you to serve by the time like you're 20 um, so that you can, you know, get on with your adult life afterwards. So he served when he was 20 and that was like right after having me. Uh, so we moved to Korea um, back to family and I lived there for about two years while he was serving, um, serving out uh, his military duty. Um, as soon as he was done, though, we moved back to Washington and then family troubles happened. My parents split up. My dad found another wife. We moved out to Los Angeles. And then in Los Angeles, we were always moving um, just because, like, the climate at the time, the economy at the time, like, trying to have a multi-year lease didn't really work out. So we were always just moving around. So I was always changing schools. Um, through elementary school, middle school, and high school, I basically changed schools every two years. Uh, so... That was difficult, um, especially for like a shy kid uh, having to go into a new school every two years, make new friends. It was very difficult. I think I went through about eight. Um, yeah, about eight schools throughout my elementary, middle and high school careers. That's a lot. So uh, it sounds like you primarily lived with your dad then uh, when your parents split up. Yeah. Yeah. For the most part, it was with my dad. Um, but, you know, he had a stable marriage through, I would say, yeah, elementary, middle school and high school. And it was around high school where like he ended up getting another divorce. And so that happened. Yeah. I, actually, I come from a so my parents uh, uh, split up when I was right around six. Both of my parents got uh, remarried and both of them have since split up my my uh, my mom, when she got remarried, split up probably when I was 16. But my dad actually last year um, separated with uh, my stepmom. So I am also from the well, – I'm from triple divorce now. So it's very odd to say. Yeah, no, both my parents also. My mother remarried and then she also got a divorce. Like I think it was another divorce like seven years ago. So When your parents uh, first split up, how old were you? 
I didn't really understand it at the time. Um, so yeah, my biological parents, when they split up, I was about four years old. Um, and I was mainly living with my mom at the time. And they had come to a, an agreement. I don't think there was ever any actual like legal things done, but basically my older sister went with my mom and then I went with my dad. But um, as a child, I had no clue what the hell was going on. Just one day I remember getting dropped off at my dad's work and I didn't see my mom for seven years. Oh my God, that sounds horrible. Like it must have been, it, it, it must have been very confusing at the very least if it wasn't sad. It was definitely very confusing because, you know, I get dropped off of my dad. Um, and then that night I go home and he's got his new girlfriend. And so all of a sudden she's like my new, you know, maternal figure. And I love her. I love my stepmom. You know, she's done much for me. Like she raised me for 12, 13 years before my parents split again. And so like, I'm always going to love her. Like she's my mom. Yeah. That's how I feel about my stepmom actually is like, um, ex- my biological mom, I don't actually talk to that much anymore because um, the issues that we had with uh, with her when I because I actually lived with her and then I moved with my dad later on. But my stepmom was definitely probably my primary maternal figure growing up, and it, I I will always be grateful for her for that because it's the only reason I have some semblance of like maybe a normal person kind of. I that's one of the things about um, being like. I forget if I'm first or second generation, but I think I'm second generation, uh, second generation Korean, especially like amongst a lot of Asian families is that, you know, it's very tradi- traditional, um, the males, like the breadwinner. So he's always working. So my mom was a state, my, my stepmom was a stay at home mom. Um, and so I didn't really have like a paternal figure because my dad was working 12 to 16 hours a day, depending on like how many jobs he had at the time. Um, and so it was mostly my stepmom raising me throughout most of my life. And so, yeah, she is like super close. Uh, was she Korean too or no? Yeah. Yeah. She was Korean also. Okay. So uh, that's something I have to ask you if, because you're second generation uh, Korean. And I know you've mentioned this, uh, moving away from this idea of being known as like an Asian caster before. But I imagine that there is probably at least a little bit of mixing of cultures there and maybe some moments where the cultures don't fit. And I can't really imagine what that would be like because I've obviously never experienced it. Did you have any issues where like you have a, a certain like cultural standard that you were taught, but maybe it doesn't fit with anyone else? Because you mentioned you moved a lot too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I never really, just like how I moved around a lot in uh, different schools, I never really felt like I belonged at the different schools because, you know, having to make new friends and trying to figure out the entire hierarchy there, um, because I didn't have that kind of stable environment. I didn't also have a very stable like community, Korean community environment. So it was uh, definitely a learning curve for me when it came to like, you know, what is Korean culture like? Um, because before then, before I had moved to LA, well, I was living in Seattle where there was almost no Korean culture. Um, my parents were the only Korean people around. None of our neighbors were Korean. Uh, the closest Korean friends that we had uh, were family friends that lived like two hours away. Um, and so basically I was just learning a lot of this just from my parents. But even then, like 
you can only learn so much by people telling you, you know, if you're actually uh, socialized in it, then yeah, you're going to learn it. But I wasn't socialized in it. So this was all just kind of like, you know, the outsider looking in. So trying to learn some of the current things like uh, it, it's simple things like um, who to call Hyung, who do you call Nuna? Wait, do I call them Opa? No, I don't because that's female. You know, like I had to learn these things by watching and instead of being socialized and like raised in it. So there was a lot of confusion growing up. Um, for most of the values, you know, like I understood them and I respect them, but was I going to follow them? I didn't really want to because <laughs> I'm American. Like I want to be more American. You know, it was very difficult trying to um, navigate that world where I just wanted to be an American, not a Korean American. So, yeah. Did you ever have uh, conflicts with like your parents? Because I've, I've heard stories and I don't know how much of this is true or stereotypes that um especially like first, second generation, uh, Korean parents are very, very hard on their children on like work ethic. Um, school is a big one that I hear about a lot of times. So what was it like for you in that regard? Yeah, uh, my experience doesn't change at all from uh, most people's. I was schooled, of course, you know, with the school from what, eight until three. And then afterwards I would go to uh, what we call hagwans, uh, which is uh, basically after school academies for Koreans where um, you get a lot of direct tutoring. Um, so from basically second grade until about second grade through middle school, I went to these places called hagwans where essentially I, it was second school until seven o'clock at night. Um, where you would get your homework done. And then, of course, you would proceed to learn other things. So by the time I was like in fifth grade, sixth grade, we were already working on algebra. Um, that's like how kind of intensive like everything was. Like we were working on algebra, reading at a higher level, um, vocabulary, everything. And so it was pretty stressful um, because there were also a lot of things going on at home. But then um, trying to keep up the grades and also keeping up with like extra homework because the hagwans also gave out extra homework i was a very stressed child um i showed a lot of symptoms of just stress that really worried me and then compounded upon that fact a uh, very weird thing i could bring up was one of the symptoms that i had um was something called geographical tongue uh, so it's where you get these really weird bumps at the back of your tongue and so i remember thinking oh my god maybe I have like tongue cancer and like that made no sense because I wasn't, sm I wasn't smoking back then. I didn't smoke until I like, I was in high school, but like in middle school, I was like showing these weird stress symptoms. Um, and like geographical tongue was one of them. And I remember going to the doctor and I was like, do I have cancer? Look at my tongue. What the hell is going on here? And he was like, no, 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 That's just geographical tongue. Um, you're just really stressed out for whatever reason. I don't know why you're a kid. I'm like, yeah, sure. Uh -huh. Kids don't get stressed, but, um, yeah, I was extremely stressed. I was already going gray. Um, lots of gray hairs when I was about 12, 13 years old and, um, many other stress symptoms like that showed up. So it was very difficult. So, so what do you do to handle the stress? Cause that, a lot of people have issues with stress and handling and you see people like even looking at like overwatch over the last, I think like learning how to handle stress is definitely a skill that we need to grow. Um, but if you look at like Overwatch, there was a lot of people who it was so stressful that they had to step down and you were having these stressful moments when you were 12. How did you handle it? 
<laughs> and so but, yeah, you can learn how to yeah. No, no, exactly. You can learn how to deal with it, right? And you can learn how to deal with the stress. But the thing is, as a kid, you don't know what your resources yeah. are. Um, you don't know what your options are. And so it's either um you, you know, keep yourself in that situation. Or you just say fuck it to everything and just give it all up. And that's basically basically what happened to me in high school. Um, I was just done with it because by the time I was in high school, um, we had moved again. I'm having to make new friends again. Um, I miss all my old friends. I'm just tired of doing SAT prep like every every day for three, four hours. I'm tired of writing an essay every day in preparation for the SAT. I was over it. And so... Um, you know, trying to live up to my expectations, like my parents' expectations of getting an A and everything. Um, also helping out on my dad's work, by the way. So this is what was going on by the time I was just like, I just gave up and just um, was was over everything. So uh, you had mentioned earlier, you know, uh, kind of work expectations and helping the family out. And so my dad uh, actually had a pool hall in Koreatown, which I helped in. Uh, so Basically, what my life was like at that point was um, every day I woke up at about 530, um, maybe five o'clock to get up, eat breakfast and go to school because I had to take the bus to school. Um, I had to take two buses to get to school, actually. Um, So we would do that five o'clock every day. And then, you know, school ends three o'clock after school. I would uh, have to go over to my SAT prep, which would take uh, place from three to seven like four to seven three to seven after that i would go straight over to my dad's pool hall where i would work from 7 30 until about midnight maybe one and then repeat and so the worst part about that was that like a lot of times i didn't have time to do homework um maybe i would try to do my homework while i was working at the pool hall because there was some downtime there um, but, you know, it's not a conducive environment where you have all these taxi drivers, like old Korean taxi drivers that are smoking, playing and drinking. Um, I tried my best to do my homework there, but that's why I had to wake up at five o'clock to finish up any other homework that I had missed, um, was not able to complete throughout the day. Uh, so, you know, again, in high school, I was only getting about three, four hours of sleep and not because, you know, I just wanted to stay up and like game all night, but because I had to keep up with my academics and actually finish my homework to get my grades you know, uh, up to a reasonable standard, which the only reasonable standard as a Korean is, of course, A's. Um, But it was by the time, like, it was my end of my sophomore year where we had moved again and I moved to a different school. Um, I had missed, it, it was like two weeks before or like a week before, like the semester was out, by the way. And they transferred me in. But I had missed like the final test in one of my classes. And they're like, well... Sorry, you're going to have to take this test on a book you never read. And yeah, I'm like, well, I'll try my best. And I bullshitted and I was able to get a B. I was able to get a B and I ended up getting a B in the class because of it. And my parents just went postal on me. Like they're like, what the hell happened? Why why did you get B in this English class? I'm like, well, here, let me explain it. But they would not live it down. And that's when, you know, I was just done with the stress and I was like, you know what? Fuck it, dad, I'm not working for you anymore. I'm not doing this SAT thing anymore. Um, next semester, all my grades tanked. Um, I was basically like a C student because I was only showing up to class to take my tests. I wasn't doing any homework. I, I was just like completely rebelling at that point, you know, giving up and I was happier. 
I was happier at that point. I started gaming again. Um, and I wasn't stressing about school. I wasn't stressing about, you know, working anymore. And like, it was the happiest I had been in life in, in like 12 years. So yeah. Hmm. So you mentioned that you didn't see your mom for seven years after you left. What about your sister? Uh, same, same. Uh, they all, they went off and moved to Hawaii. So I didn't see my sister. I didn't see my mom for seven years until like I was around 11 again. They were still living actually. Okay. So they were still living up in Seattle, but you know, um, that's like an entire day's drive. If you want to go from like Los Angeles up to Seattle. So we never saw each other. Um, I saw them when I was like 11 or something, 11 or 10. I forget. I can't quite remember, but it was just before they flew themselves out to Hawaii and to live there for the rest of their lives. And so, um, honestly, again, for me, it was just like, what's going on? Oh, I'm going to see my mom. All right. That's cool. I'm going to see my sister. All right. That's cool. You know, like at that point for the majority of my life, I didn't know them. Right. Um, we had gotten split up when I was like four or five and I was like 11 at this point. So that was like half my life at that point. Uh, so it was great seeing them. And then of course, like all the old feelings come back like, oh yeah, now I remember mom, you know, hanging out with her. Like she took me out to Disneyland. We had a day of it. And then all of a sudden the day was over and they were gone and they went to Hawaii. Like, and I didn't see them again for another five, six years. Did you feel like you were a little bit abandoned? Cause that's how I would feel. And I know that, um, there were some things that happened like, uh, with my mom where she didn't really like talk to my brother. Um, very much when uh, we ended up moving back to my dad. She would always try to talk to me, but she wouldn't really try to talk to my brother that often. And she would like send me gifts. I always felt like she abandoned my brother and I always had a lot of resentment for that. Yeah, I, I mean, here's the thing, right? As a kid, like you don't know what these feelings are. You don't know how to like actually um, put words to them. I'm fucking 11 years old. I don't know what I'm feeling. I just know that I'm angry at the world, yeah. right? And I don't know why, like reconciling it now, like reconciling it when I was like an 18 year old, like 19 year old. Yeah, I could finally put words to it. But back then I didn't feel abandoned. I was just angry. Right. Yeah, you don't know how to handle you, it. You're too young. Exactly. Right? You don't know how to handle it and you don't know exactly what this emotion is. And sometimes you don't know exactly why you're feeling this emotion. So you don't know what the source of it is. You're just angry at the world. And that's what I was at that point. I was just angry. Um, I didn't know why. And yeah. Looking back at it, of course, it was because, well, um, I loved my mom. I, I loved my mom um, just because of, like, the difference in relationship between, like, my dad and my mom's, right? Um, my relationship with my dad and my mom's. And it was always just, you know, a lot of warmth from the maternal side and then just sternness and um, anger for my dad. And so, yeah, uh, immediately, like, I wish that I was with my mom instead because, um, you know, my sister seemed a lot happier with my mom, uh, definitely a lot happier than I was with my dad. And so uh, there were a lot of, like, compl- conflicting factors there. And it was just uh, something that as as a five-year-old, as an 11, 12, 13-year-old, I could not reconcile my brain. And I just had no clue why I was always angry. Yeah, and I, I can't imagine. I imagine that, like... How are you with your sister and mom now? I, again, it is still kind of like an estranged, estranged relationship, you know, because, well, we spent basically decades apart. Yeah. Um, but my sister and I reconnected when I was like 18 years old, 19 years old. I went to go visit her um, when she was living in um, 
yeah, while she was living out in Oahu. No, not Oahu. Yeah, yeah, well, well yeah, I forget. I always forget the Hawaiian Islands. But um, yeah, I went to go visit her. Well, we re- reconnected when I was like actually 17, 18. Before that, um, while I was in high school, I went to go visit them over the summer. And then my sister and I have worked to just build up our relationship again because we didn't really keep in touch yeah. um, like while we were basically kids and teenagers. And so, you know, now like it's really difficult um, because we try to stay in touch, but we're both adults. We're both living our lives and it's very difficult because we have an entire ocean between us, but it's much better now. Um, before, you know, again, like I said, I hadn't heard from them. I hadn't seen them in like seven years, like when we, when my parents first split up and now like we have regular contact, we like call and text, you know, every month. And so it's a much better relationship, but you know, again, like it, it's not growing up with her, right. Yeah. It's not the same kind of like uh brother, sister, like sibling relationship that a lot of people share. It's, it's kind of like, we're working towards it and it shouldn't, you know, a, a sibling relationship shouldn't be something you work towards and like yeah. try to have it's, it should just, kind of be uh so again um like most of my experiences growing up it's about learning how to socialize in a certain environment when it should be something that's a lot more natural should come a lot more natural to you mm-hmm. it's it's actually like i think you're a miraculous human being uh and i'll tell you why um you always portray yourself as being so positive and i think you are positive like the way, the way that you just hold yourself and the way that you act, it, it almost seems like you try to take the best from a situation. But I don't think anyone would have realized that even people who, are, who seem positive or seem nice all the time have things that are uh, traumatic happen to them that are emotional, that are, are real. And I think you're an amazing person for that. No, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, sometimes a lot of people think it's a facade of some sort. And to an extent it is, you know, um, I again, like when I'm out in social situations, I don't know how to be very social. And so I just kind of default back to just having a good time, <laughs> you know, and uh, just enjoying just enjoying everything around me instead of like being caught up in my anxiety um, and just being caught up like in my own kind of neuroses, you know. Um, after like, it takes me a while, like while I'm out when like socializing with people to just finally kind of get out of that shell. And once I am, I'm just like really glad that I'm not in my shell anymore. And so I think that's why, like, I exude a lot more positivity when I am with people because for the most part, it's, it's, I get two things like, Oh, you're really quiet. What's going on? I'm like, yeah, this is me amping up and working up towards being like kind of outgoing and like trying my best to like actually be here with you instead of being in my brain, you know? And then once I am out of there, I'm just so glad to be out of there because I, you, you, you should understand, you know, like anxiety can really just yeah. really weigh heavy on you. It's funny. Cause like, um, like I definitely like work with people and stuff all the time. Uh, but when I'm out in social situations, I find it very awkward for me. And, uh, I, I, I do get a, a sense of anxiety and I think part of it is because anytime I'm with people, I'm worried that they're just thinking that I'm like watching them instead of enjoying being with them, right? They're thinking that I'm always trying to like delve into them. And I, some of this is justified where people are like, are you just trying to get in my head? And most of the time it's, I just want to know who you are. I want to know what type of person you are because it's someone who I want to hang out with more. And I feel like sometimes that comes across very awkward and I don't know if I know how to shut off like me as a person. I can't shut that off. That's just what I am. 
So I, I no, I understand that. I understand that a lot actually, because um, this is a memory that goes back to like when I was, I think, four years old. I was with my dad and my stepmom, mm-hmm. and we were out at a restaurant. And I'm just staring at these people because I want to. I was very curious about them too, right? Uh, like one of my favorite hobbies is just people watching. Yeah kind of like giving them stories and stuff, right? Um, and we were at a restaurant and I was doing it at the time. And, and my dad, he just gets real stern. He's like, what are you doing? Stop staring at those people. And I'm just like, oh, sorry, dad. And then uh, again, I default to it into a different like group of people. And like, and he scolds me. Well, my, my dad was uh, actually um, very abusive. So um, at that point, he actually threw chopsticks at me. And I was like, okay, uh, you got to sh- get out of that. Stop doing that, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right. And and that's that's like one of my that was like one of the first times I had learned like maybe this isn't as socially acceptable to like just stare at people, but the in the manner in which I was like reprimanded for doing it also wasn't like really like the healthiest of ways to learn. No, no, hey, you shouldn't do this, you know. Embarrassing, and it makes you feel bad. Yeah. And yeah. So my uh, my stepdad was actually abusive. I remember a couple times where we got into physical altercations. Um, and it was very hard, like growing up. It, it you just you're angry at everything, like, isn't it? Through. I mean, yeah, like it's it's very difficult. Like you and I do share a lot of like uh, it seems like you know familial history, where yeah, our parents split up. There's a history of abuse and uh, fuck as a kid and like and you know, I I don't like to default to this, but like a lot of gamers, like a lot of us come from like the same kind of history where we're all kind of just socially fucking awkward and so when you're when you're dealing with learning how to just be you know a regular person all the time and um how to make friends and then you have all this other like stress at home and stuff that doesn't help you isn't conducive to like your development at all like it's a lot to fucking deal with as a kid it's a lot to fucking deal with as a person it is an adult if you had to deal with that i can't imagine with that and there's there are adults who they they never got a chance to have an experience where they could learn to slowly work through it and then all of a sudden they're put in a situation where they don't have a choice they have to work through it or they're they're gonna fail and a lot of times people fail because it's so extreme yeah honestly i feel like i'm still working through it myself yeah. like I, I, I'm I don't think we can stop 31 years old at this point yeah there, there is no stopping and the worst part is that like it's compounded by like the internet which is now you know like constantly evolving you have to find new ways to interact with people and me as uh, i'm like slow in my ways and it takes me a while to adjust and so i don't i can't keep up with the pace of the internet and like it, and social media and everything it's it's a lot yeah, it is a lot. So, you said you're 31? Yeah. I would have never guessed that. Actually, I wrote down what I guessed your age was. Uh, and I think I put uh, 25, 26. And I based that kind of off of some research I did. So, did you go to school later then? Because you went to school from, what, 2011 to 2015? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, so, I graduated high school from 2006. I... Like high school was 2006 and then I took two years off because, yeah, my parents had split up again my senior year Um, and my dad decided to move back to L.A. And I wanted to stay in my area because finally, you know, again, it was like uh, the last two years of high school for me were like very transformative. Um, And so I made a lot of friends. I gave up the academic life and uh, I was just enjoying my life. And I didn't want to leave that behind again because finally I had found a place where I was happy and uh, kind of 
just at place. And so my dad moved back to LA and I decided to stay in Rancho Cucamonga, uh, which is out in the Inland Empire here in Southern California. And um, so, you know, I had basically given up on going straight to school, going straight to like UCLA or something like that. And so, I mean, I remember I took the SATs and I didn't really care. I ended up getting like, I can't remember. I think it was like 2160 or something for the SAT at the time. I took it, um, so I wouldn't even know what that is. Oh, yeah. SAT is basically the West Coast's yeah. ACT. Yeah. Um, and so I took it. I Hell, I even took like three or four AP classes my senior year, but I didn't take the test because I was like, does it matter? Because I'm not going straight to college. I'm going to end up going to JC. So, yeah, um, my my first year out of high school, I was basically a townie. Um, I was going to a JC at the time. And um, I was just planning to transfer over somewhere. Um, and this is the point where my dad and I became extremely estranged. And he was basically out of my life for like three or four years. Was uh, made by you? Partially, yeah. It was just because, again, um, I hadn't reconciled a lot of like our history at the time. Uh, it wasn't until I was like 24, 25, where I was just like, you know, that shit happened to me. Let's get through this. Let's work through this, work through the emotions and then move on. But yeah, um, it was basically like kind of a choice like, hey, you know, I just need to, uh, like I finally have like my independence um, and I'm going to stretch this as far as I can. Because, you know, I spent the last fucking 18 years living under your terror. So I, I need this. And so um, I ended up after the summer of my senior year, you know, um, moving out of my house. My dad moved back to L.A. I was living, um, I was basically living in the garage of a friend. Um, I was going to JC and I was holding down two jobs at the time. So. Uh, it was difficult to try and, you know, um, be a full-time student while working like 70, 80 hours a week. But I was still having a lot more fun than I would imagine if I was like living with my dad. Um, of course, you know, there was that weird, that, there was that FOMO, like all your friends come back for like winter break, for summer break. Mm -hmm. And they had a great time at college. They had a great time in their dorms. And while you were, you know, um, still like basically stuck at home, but you know, I still wouldn't trade it because I learned so much from that experience. Um, but again, the timeline, uh, I spent two, three years at JC before I transferred out to UCI, got to UCI, found out very quickly that I didn't have the money, uh, for it. And so, uh, I had to work, look for alternative like work. And I ended up going to Korea for about six months where, um, I was living with family and I was, um, working and just spent the entire six months just saving up and then having enough money to come back to finish off like my last year of school, which is what I did. So, uh, yeah, two years or three years in JC, spent a half year in Korea, wait, three years in JC, one year in college, like proper university where, yeah, proper university came back or went to Korea Ran out of money again after after I came back from Korea because um, at that time, Korea, or California um, tuition was going up like 33% every year. And so okay. I had to take time off again to work again. And so, yeah, it was just a very long extended time. And um, 
the second time I took a break from school, it was really extended just because um, trying to live in California while saving up for a California school was nearly impossible. I was working two jobs. I was actually working three jobs at the time. Um, yeah, I was working like three jobs at the time because I was working as a chess instructor um, and I was working at a coffee shop and I was working um, well as a chess tutor also. Um, I was taking on extra um chess tutoring jobs at the time um and so i was working like 80 hours again just to try and survive and i was like saving up 200 300 a month and 200 300 a month is not gonna get as yeah you're not gonna be able to like really build up anything to try to go back to school and so it was a real struggle it took me another two years to get back into school but i'm glad i was able to and finally finish it off and be done with it but by at that point i was like 26 or 27 so <laughs> so chess is a passion of yours then something you enjoy it was something that was introduced to me um by a roommate of mine um she basically like she was working as a chess instructor. She's like, Hey, do you know, this is a good way to make some extra money. I'm like, yeah, okay, let's learn it. And then um, like all things I do and like all games, I'm competitive in it. And so I wanted to be really good. And so, yeah, um, it's, you know, not as much as a passion as it was a few years ago. Like I've really given up on a lot of chess. Um, I've forgotten a lot of chess. Most of my opening knowledge is gone now. Um, but you know, my basics are still there, but, forgetting your forgetting your openings is actually like a, a huge huge thing so <laughs> i'm basically once again probably playing around like 1600 1700 mm -hmm. so you mentioned uh, when you were rebelling in high school and you gave up everything that's when you got back into video games uh, you're actually very good is that when you started to notice that you were like very very good at video games because that would have probably been you, I mean, you would have been older, so there would have been more competitive scenes coming out. And you would have had the time um, to dedicate towards it. So around 16, I ended up getting a computer. Um, and that's when I started playing like Counter-Strike and Diablo again. Um, when I was younger, I was playing it just at home. But like I was playing against bots. Yeah. And in Diablo, you know, it was just PvE, right? Running through um, the single-player campaign. Um, but yeah, I was playing Counter-Strike again a lot in my senior and uh, in my junior and senior years. And it helped that like, you know, I had found a group of friends that were also like uh, gamers. So we're all playing like Maple Story together, Gunbound, um, Guild Wars. Guild Wars actually took up a lot of our time. And uh, the thing was like, I didn't know I was good at games because I didn't, I had, I guess, uh, ladder anxiety. Mm -hmm. Like PVP was always something that like worries me. It still worries me to this day. Um, when I picked up League of Legends when I was like 22 or whatever years old, uh, I played against bots up until like level 30. And like, I remember the first just normal game that I loaded, lo loaded up for like PVP or whatever um, in League of Legends, I was shaking. I was so scared. I was so nervous. And then it was just like, oh, wait, no. This After winning my first three or four games, like, no, this is, this is nothing. This is just like playing like your normal games. It's fine. But uh, regardless of that, any game I play in, um, that first game, I get a lot of I get a lot of anxiety. I, I, I get very nervous. Even with Overwatch, the, the, you know, the first time I got into quick play, I was very nervous. Like uh, being in quick play during uh, the beta, I was super nervous. Uh, and this is something that hasn't left me. Um, I know that 
I know now that I'm I'm pretty good, you know, and most of the games I play and I play within like the top, like in like the 97th percentile normally. Uh, but I still get that anxiety and I still like worry about my performance all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of cool that you, cause you are very good at video games. Um, like 97 percentiles, very good compared to the, especially like everyone else. But it's funny is if you look at like video gamers in general, the people who get very, very good at games, normally, uh, there's what I like to call like a break point where something happens where they start to dedicate a significantly larger portion of time to video games. And that is, I think, one of the major factors why they tend to be better than other people. And if you start, like, if you ever watch my other uh, uh, shows with, like, players and stuff, you'll actually see, it's a common question I ask because of that, because something that I've noticed is there's, like, a break point where people have this, and it seems to be something that could potentially be important. Yeah, uh, if then I think my break point would have to go back to like League of Legends because that was the first time where I was like considering, hey, maybe I am like good at this video gaming thing. And at that point in my life, um, this this was about eight years ago. This was like when Justin TV was like really on the rise yeah. um, before it made over like the transition to Twitch. And so I started like watching a lot more streams. You know, I was playing League. I was watching a lot more streams. I was watching a lot more tournaments. I was thinking, hey, this is possibly a thing that I can do. Um, I was playing League at that point in my life. Uh, again, it was a point in my life where I was working about anywhere between 50 to 70 hours a week um, while also trying to go to school and also trying to play league i was still playing league like at least 30 hours a week at that point um six hours a day easily uh (laughs) so i think that was my break point where um i finally thought hey i'm good at video games i'm good like in competitive video games most importantly and you know, I can try and maybe make something of myself at this point. Um, it, within the span of basically a summer, um, after my friends and I reached level 30 and we started playing ranked, you know, they had middle out at around like gold and I continued to climb. I was playing with my roommates at that time. I had like three other roommates that played League of Legends with me. Uh, and yeah, they had like middle out around gold and I just kept going and you know, next thing I know, I'm like, I'm plat one. I'm like, hey, like, you know, I might be good at this game. And um, I figured that was actually, that was my plateau. Uh, plat one was my plateau. <laughs> I oh, never made it past I, plat one. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, okay. I hit diamond. In the no, 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 no. Yeah. I, 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 there was a summer where I was just cursed, right? I would go for my promotions, right? Like my plat to diamond promotions. And in those games, like I would win my first two. And then lose my next three. Like every time I hit promotion, it was win my first two, lose my next three, win my first two. And it was just a summer of just me being played by not being able to get into diamond. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, leak. Oh, I, 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 I actually kind of miss it. I took a year off of it because when I got into overwatch, but I do kind of miss it a little bit now. Like the, there's like the old memories that are like, remember when this was so much fun? Did you enjoy this? And I'm like, no, I remember the end too. I remember the bad parts. So one of the things that you've talked about, um, is contenders and what would plague a plague, not plague, plague, uh, blizzard is how they set up their, their secondary scene, right. And their, their talent growth scene. And you had mentioned, I think it was back in 2017, that this would be one of the biggest issues for Overwatch is setting up this this scene in an effective way. How do you think they've done so far? 
Do you think that the contenders is actually to grow talent? I'll ask an easier question. Um, talent in which regard? Uh, for the Overwatch scene, the Overwatch League scene. Okay, so for like players. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it was the biggest issue is that there's like you know a consistency issue, and now that we have more teams coming in that might not be as much of an issue going into 2019, you know, having a lot more academy teams. But again, we, we saw how big, like, the consistency, consistency issue was across all the contenders' teams. You had your academy teams that had a, a, a ton of fucking funding, uh, had a lot of support uh, against players that, like, had none. I look at LNL, look at where they've come so far. You know, two seasons in now, or well, three seasons in now, and now they're an academy team and they're they're stopping on people, right? I believe they're like, I didn't watch this week's games or last week's games, but what, they're eight and oh. Um Doing really well. and so they went from like winning what one match in season one, um, and then being the first non-academy team in NA to beat an academy team, and now like they're just winning outright, you know. Look at the difference in like what support can do. Um, so now that we are finally seeing more teams getting into it. We're seeing the structure that should have been there. But, you know, 2018 was more of a building period um, for the tier two scene. Again, though, like like a lot of people would probably say this could have been combated earlier on by just not killing the Overwatch scene for the better part of a year and a half by not giving out like tournament licenses. Um, Like we could have been in a much healthier state at this point. And but taking, you know, the reins of control, like it's finally going to start paying off in 2019 for NA mm-hmm. for NA. Um, EU is still very difficult to try and manage because, well, now there are only, there are technically two EU teams, right? Yeah. Or two EU contender slots with yeah. Paris and um, Spitfire. Spitfire. So like, they're still dealing with that. It's going to be, it's going to have to take them what, at least another year for EU to get proper, like, kind of consistency across their um across basically their competition um korea is lucky because well it's korea and korea is always going to be nuts china is actually taking a step back and like how they perform their scene because before everything was done on land it was very apex style-esque right where everything was done on land you had to play there um and you had a competition every week but now it's all online again Uh, and so the level of competition in china has gone down uh the level of competition pack has gone down um overall like it's a net loss i would say for the entire scene even though north america has developed its way up has worked basically towards a a good state but everywhere else has basically been boned like korea and na are the only places where like you're good but like eu it's you're, you're still like starving for an org you have all these players that don't have an org that are just playing out of sheer passion and trying to make it um china they're lucky because well it's china and chinese esports always has money somehow but the pacific region absolutely got completely like they have nothing now (laughs) like it's yeah uh blink's no longer playing in uh, the pack region um Hey, at least South America has a region, so maybe there's that. I don't. Maybe at that point, it's it, it's it, it's a NA breaking Supercell? even point. I don't know. I was I watching actually a South American streamer, and like his ping was actually at twenty three. So I can't oh, imagine. Oh, so. maybe not. I thought they had. Uh, I thought they. Uh, I, for some reason, I thought they played on the NA server, but maybe they have their own server. 
So I was watching a streamer, uh, a Brazilian streamer, and his ping was at like 23. So I yeah. think. Yeah, they must. I, I don't know if it's in Brazil. I remember actually South American servers coming up and like people were complaining that South America is actually a much bigger country or I mean, much, much bigger continent than people imagine. And that one server isn't enough. Like, cause you know, yeah, yeah. Cause NA is big, like West to East, yeah. but South America is like large from North to South. And so it is actually, you need like two servers. Like we have, you know, NA West and NA East and yep. you need like South America North and South America South. And so I don't know. So you mentioned players. What about for the casting talent? Because I can't imagine that they're working on developing uh, casting talent because they've, they've made cuts in casting talent. Uh, and the yeah, they made cuts in casting talent. Um, I don't know. It's weird because like, so for the last two years working with them, like I, I was consistently asking for feedback and like most of it would just be like, yeah, you were good. I'm like, okay. And then all of a sudden I'm cut, you know? <laughs> Um, and I asked for feedback and I had to wait like another week. And I'm just like, well, you know, I, I consistently always ask you for feedback. And this is actually like one of the biggest issues that a lot of other casters had. Um, basically working with Blizzard, it's like, I want to know what you think I'm doing well. And I want to know what you think I'm not doing well. So I can at least work towards it. Um, again, being left in kind of just like this weird, like on Wii where you're just like, you don't know right you're just kind of like in this constant kind of like fear for your job like area it it's it's very hard to navigate and like i wish they were a bit more a bit more um forthcoming with their feedback because again like I asked for on numerous occasions to just be like, hey, you know, oh, even if you have to email me, just I want to know what you think. And I want to know what other people and what people in Blizzard think, like what's making you happy, what's not, blah, blah, blah. And you just weren't getting that. Um, yeah. Hmm. That sounds very unfortunate. I'm, I'm sorry for that. Um, looking at getting into casting, you actually started working in esports. Uh, I don't know if it was for free or not, but you started working in, I think it was 2014? Because you were working with Team Coast and you were also a wiki editor for Esportspedia. Um, oh, wow. You really did get into the research. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Legal anything Legends. Else, I want to <laughs> that I, I try to know my shit. That's what I, that's, I try to I don't know think I've, shit. I don't, there's only like two people in the world that I've told. That I've like actually told that I worked at like Team Coast or worked with Coast at the time, mm-hmm. um, and like the other person that knows about it was just because like we were in it together at the time. I uh, roommate, um, but yeah, 2014 was about the time that I got in. Like, it's in terms of like for like broadcast talent, that's pretty late to get into like any kind of like esports work. Like most of these, you know, you look at Golden Boy, you look at Monty Doa. Uber, Uber's been doing this for like seven years or eight years. Like Monty and Doe have been doing this for like 11 years, 12 years. Um, Golden Boy's been also doing this for like 12 years. You know, like if you look at anyone else, yeah, their careers had started way back when. But again, I didn't get into like competitive gaming again until I was about 23, 22. Um, and so like I had a super late start on it. Um, and 
it's you 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 kind of you kind of feel that in the scene like coming in as like a basically I'm still like a newcomer to everyone you know and like um it's it's like changing schools again it really is um because you know you had all these existing relationships you're coming into this new scene you're trying to figure out how to how to be a social person like how to actually interact with everyone so again it's kind of like is that outsider looking in syndrome once again like yeah yeah it was it was very odd breaking into the scene because i'm okay i'm 26 i'm gonna be 27 so even i'm uh consider it like older for like some of the esports people especially like coaching staff like uh, i think it's changing now with like overwatch and stuff but a lot of times a lot of the, the people who are playing or the a lot of people who are working are much much younger than i am and so i could see you being like 31 now and but you were probably what 29 when you broke in right around there um that's still significantly like in an age thing and i i can't imagine not having anxiety doing that so how did you handle that like when you first got it because you were you were working with esports arena for a while and i think you did casting with them um you casted some csgo stuff before that some league of legends stuff with uh uci i think um and like you get this opportunity to work with uh blizzard and i can't imagine not having a ton of anxiety going into there how did you handle that so it was actually a very stressful time in my life um because again, um, you know, the casting and then working I was doing with Esports Arena, uh, at first it was free and then they brought me on. But I was working as a volunteer for them for like four or five months. Um, and then when I was when I was brought on, I was brought on at minimum wage. Uh, and so, you know, <laughs> still not that much money. Um, I was still working early, early on in my career about, yeah, two, three jobs at the time. So two jobs and then also trying to do like esports arena on the side. Um, it was very difficult. It was very stressful. Uh, and then compound upon that, of course, just the anxiety of like being on camera, learning how to do that. I, I remember the first time like I actually got on camera to do anything um, in like any kind of camera work. And it was fine because they were like, oh, we're having a problem with the stream. So we're not streaming. We're just recording. I'm like, okay, actually that's a lot better. You know, um, we were doing this Counter-Strike tournament and we had some pretty big names like Cloud9 showed up. Um, and then it was before uh, like the Brazilians like became super famous, right? So like Taco Henny, um, Lucas, uh, FNX, they were actually playing in the tournament. It was like super cool. And then midway through the recording, they're like, oh, yeah, we're live on Twitch now. You had 3000 viewers and I was wearing my glasses that time. And instantly my glasses just like fogged up and you could actually see it because we were on the desk when they said that. <laughs> and so, yeah, like it, it's it does have like um, it does have like there's a bodily reaction to yeah. dealing with stress and like the anxiety. And that's how my body deals with it. I get super heated. Like I, I blush up and I get super hot. And then, of course, that translates to like steam on my glasses and it does show. Um, but other like ways I like I remember the stress manifesting itself. Um, I had a bald spot. I had a fucking bald you spot. Had a bald spot. <laughs> and like I'm the thing was, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, it, it was a stress induced bald spot. And like, I didn't even know it because like my hair was long at the point. Right. Where like it was almost like 
it was a bit longer than this. And so like it kind of just combed over itself and I didn't realize it. Right. And then I went to go get a haircut and and uh, the person was just like, hey, you got this bald spot back here. I'm like, what do you mean? And it was like this big, like <laughs> this big on the back of my head. And they're like, yeah, I guess you're just balling or it's stress. I'm like, what do you mean? It's just stress. And he's like, yeah, that happens sometimes. If you're really stressed, you can have just a, a bald patch, but it looks like you still have some hair there. Maybe it'll grow back in. And the thing was, it wasn't just like a bald patch. It was like this patch that also had like really stringy white hairs in it. And so it was, again, reverting back to like my my middle school like days where like I was getting like patches of gray because I was stressed out. And so not only was I getting patches of gray, I was losing hair at that time. Um, it took probably a full year, a full year before like the hair grew back in. But I have these bald spots on the back of my head. And that did not help with the stress because that just stressed me out even more. You know, like, like you get these stress things and like they just compound upon each other. Exactly. It's a vicious fucking cycle. Yeah. So how do you start to deal with that? How do you, how do you start to make your way through it? Are, Are you able to deal with it or do you still have issues dealing with it? So I was, I was fortunate enough to just find a point where Things started dying down where I was finally getting paid for my work. Um, Blizzard called me out to do like the first time Blizzard asked me out to do something for them was TESPA. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was great. And that was some extra money. But it wasn't until like Contender Season Zero had happened. And then um, and then World Cup had happened where I finally found this like balance of uh, basically my finances and work. And so I was able to quit working at the coffee shop. I didn't have to tutor chess anymore and I could just concentrate on, on, on just casting. Um, and it was at that point where like finally things started dying down, but I was still really extremely stressed out at the point over finances, but I, it became a lot more comfortable yeah. and things got better. And then it just kind of just, you know, um, exponentially got better uh, where finally now I am at a point three years later, four years later, after I started all this, where financially I'm stable, I'm not worried, I'm not stressed out, I can just concentrate on doing Overwatch, concentrate on just, you know, navigating esports. Um, so I'm very fortunate in that regard for a lot of other people, because, you know, um, for any game, what you only have about 12 possible slots yeah. really for broadcast talent and you know overwatch overwatch is really lucky in the fact that you know uh contender system did come out um there are more slots for talent uh but again it's very few people make it very few people get to a point where they get to be this comfortable so i find myself very fortunate that i was able to get here and I am not as stressed as I was before. I'm stressed for different reasons now, Yeah, but I'm happier to be stressed about these reasons than about my financial stability. Can you go into these reasons? Well, again, like financial stability, like if stressing about whether or not you can pay for pay your rent, uh, whether or not you can pay your, you know, like, 
fucking buy groceries. It's a different kind of stress than just being like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to get this job. Oh, you know, like I'm working this job and like the client is being uh, extremely unreasonable, but I still have to do this because they're the client. And at the end of the day, they're paying the paycheck. You know, that's a different kind of stress. Um, The first one leads to bald spots. The first one, you know, leads to my, my my health just being to absolute shit because, well, I'm also um, at that point, I'm also uh, sacrificing my health, my my physical health um, and my mental health at the same time. And the other one is just my mental health, you know, at least like like, hey, I've got a client. I, I'm able to live. I don't have to worry. I don't have like compounding stress, you know, at home. I'm able to, uh, I, I have the extra free time to do other things like uh, that help me deal with and manage my stress, right? Like I'm able to work out. I'm able to uh, do some cardio and in turn, all of those help you um, manage the stress. Uh, and so the other way, like it's just always compounding. And it's again, that cyclical kind of vicious cycle that we were talking about, Um well, this one is just you only have the one source and that's all you have to deal with. And you have time and you have money to deal with it. So it's fine. Mm-hmm. So another thing that I remember reading about with you, you mentioned stress um, and we didn't really talk about this a whole lot. Is But when you were growing up, you said that you were bullied a lot. Um, what was that like? Because I know I was bullied too, which again, I, I swear to God, when I was researching it too, I was like, holy shit, we have that in common. Holy shit, we have that in common, which isn't good. Like these aren't good things. No, yeah, it's not. It's but not, it like, but it's kind of like, it, it like, you know, you're in the trenches together, right? Like, yeah. that's, that's like, kind of like what it is. You're just in the trenches together. So you just kind of feel like this affinity towards. So what was it like for you? Like, what was, uh, was it mostly emotional? Was it physical too? Um, what was it like for you? It was definitely both, uh, emotional and physical. Uh, it just, uh, depended on like the environment that I was uh, in. Um, but mostly physical where, you know, I was worried about getting ganged up by like lots of kids. Um, but the emotional aspect came from just the fact that I was getting bullied and I didn't know why again, um, as a kid, you don't know how to really identify what your emotion is and why you're feeling it. Um, my, I did, you know, like I identified I was angry. I didn't know why, you know, and again, um, being bullied, like, okay, I was able to identify I'm angry that I'm getting bullied. I'm sad that I'm getting bullied, but you're left with that kind of also same notion of like, why the fuck am I getting bullied? Why me all like all of a sudden? And then when you come to realize the reason why is just because you're fucking different. Just because I was Asian in like a middle school that was 99% Hispanic or Asian in a school that was 99% white. Like that pisses you off even more. And so like as a person that was already having difficulties dealing with their identity and like trying to figure out like how to be Korean and everything, like to have someone you know, bully you because of it. Like it didn't help my development in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, were you ever put in a situation where it was like, because uh, ex- you mentioned that there were times where it was almost so bad where you had to join functionally a gang of people or an actual gang. Was there ever a moment where you thought about doing that where you were like, you know what, this this would be much better than what's going on right now? Yeah. Um, so I went to Los Angeles high school, uh, which is a very, 
divided school or was a very divided school. I can't speak to it now because it's been almost 12 years. Well, almost 14 years since I last attended. Um, but, uh, you know, you had, you had African-Americans, you had uh, Latinos and uh, you had Koreans. And, you know, it was a very race divided school. Um, and so, yeah, I did consider like basically having to join like a gang for safety reasons. Um, luckily, you know, as a Korean, like it was kind of like your choice, like, Hey, you know, whether or not you're in with us, whatever. But if someone does fuck with you because you're Korean and because there are only so many of us Koreans here, we're still going to like, you know, back you up just by default. But like, the idea was there. And I remember seriously considering when I was like 14, 15 and like rolling with these guys because fuck, I could be walking down the street and all of a sudden get pulled into a van and like, you know, held at knife point, held at gunpoint. Like it was a very dangerous time in LA at that point. Have, have you ever, how many times or how often did that happen where you were held at knife point or at gunpoint? Oh, it didn't happen to me. It didn't okay. happen to me, but like that was always a constant fear. Yeah. Um, Cause it happened to other like, people. Yeah, it never happened to me again. Like I've been very fortunate uh, throughout my life. And that was one of the um, one of the arenas in which I was also very fortunate that didn't ever really happen to me. But, you know, um, there were times where I was confronted on the street just for being Korean. Um, like I'm, I'm, I'm fucking walking from Yoshinoya to my cousin's house, which is like a two block walk and three, four guys just confront me. They're like, what are you doing here, homie? I'm like, shit, I'm just getting food and trying to get to my cousin's house, you know? And like, they're wondering if I'm in, if I'm part of a gang. And so like, that was probably one of the major other reasons why I didn't join one just because like, yes, I wanted to be affiliated for, you know, for kind of like the protection protection, but also being affiliated also makes you a target. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, like being in LA, being in Korea at the time, Korea town at the time was a very dangerous time. And like, as a kid, like it, yeah, it was pretty scary. It was pretty scary. I went to a again, like, no, like 21 kids. So I can't relate to that gang violence because they were like wannabe gangsters. They weren't actually gangsters. So I, I, I still got beat up because they wanted to be that, but they weren't ever like, I'm going to pull the knife out and stab you. So, like, I can't imagine what that would have been like. Yeah. Um, it was weird because, like, there was also, like, a lot of, like, a lot of ties between the different Asian gangs also. Mm. And so, like, I remember there was this one giant, like, just brawl that we had at the park across the street from our school where it was, like, I believe it was just the African-Americans versus like the Latinos and Asians. And like, there was a weird truce between the Asians and Latinos. And then of course the Asians had like their truce and like ties amongst each other where like the Chinese gangs would like back up the Korean gangs. And so like, there's this one brawl where it was straight up two, 300 people just fist fighting it out. At one point, a, a line of like vans and sedans showed up and like, a ton of Asian people with bats and shit just came out and they like got into the fight too. <laughs> and it had to be like, it was broken up like nine or 10 cop Jeez. cars showed up. Yeah. To break this fight up. And it was nuts. It was nuts. And like, I couldn't be anywhere near it because I would have like been 
somehow accidentally drawn into this fight too. It was like, yeah, that's weird. Crazy. So you have a lot of fortunate things, even with the negative things that happen. I think one of the most fortunate things that you've talked about has actually been your girlfriend. Um, you, you've mentioned before that uh, she helped dress you uh, for like on stage camera stuff, and she's responsible for that. Um, when did you first meet her? Uh, back when we were working at the Coffee Bean. So this was, oh, she's going to hate that I had to take a pause here. But six years ago. Okay. So if, ago? If, I, I don't know if she's going to watch this or not. Uh, I'm not going to let her know. I'm oh. not going to tell her. About this. Okay. <laughs> so my next question is marriage in the distant future. That's not actually something I'm considering right now um, because my concentration is, of course, just yeah. uh, esports and, you know, like with marriage comes things like home ownership and and like children. And personally, like I don't have a career where I can afford either. You know, like I have a career where I'm comfortable, like I can live comfortably in the state that I'm in, but not if I'm looking for any other kind of like, yeah. you know like long-term kind of investment stuff. And so I just can't do that. Yeah. Me and my girlfriend, uh, we actually had our, uh, oh God, she's going to kill me if she watches this. I can't remember if it's the fourth or fifth year anniversary. Oh God. I'm going to have to look later now. Uh, but we were talking about it last time and I actually, I told her a very similar thing. Is like, I wouldn't be opposed to marrying you. It's just right now, I think that I need to be in a, financially stable place even though she's an engineer and like right now she is currently supporting me while i i do this content while i do private stuff with other teams um but and i love her to death for that um but we've definitely talked about it, so that's why i was wondering is because this is someone who like out of everyone that you've talked about so far seems to be one of the most stable anchors in your life who is always there for you i've heard you mention her in multiple different interviews where like this is the person who's always supporting me and she sounds like a really wonderful person to have in your life and especially like if you look at esports a lot of people talk about hey you can't be in a relationship or you can't have a relationship for this to be possible i don't actually think that's true at all and i like to showcase good examples of someone who is in a relationship that seems to be very supporting and helpful and is a good example for everyone else that you can be in this relationship with this job that requires a tremendous amount of hours and work and it can work out. Um, yeah, I mean, I, one of those examples I really look towards would be like golden boy and, um, his wife, Cynthia, they've been together for over a decade now, married off for almost a decade now. Um, and I had the pleasure of meeting her two years ago, uh, during World Cup when we were in Australia together. And yeah, um, you know, like they got married when like esports wasn't a viable real thing, but she's been there and supporting him all all like this entire time, like, you know, um, been in his corner. And so like that's one of the examples that I look towards. Um, but again, like for a lot of men, uh, it's 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 who's the woman behind him that like makes all this possible. Right. Um, again, like I was working, like I said, when I was first doing um, a lot of my casting stuff, I was working anywhere between 50 to 70 hours a week, you know, and that also means my girlfriend was working somewhere between like anywhere between 40 to 60 hours a week. Like I wouldn't have been able to survive without her, you know, again, it's that, 
oh, uh, we're in the trenches together thing. Um, you know, she was there during the bad times and she didn't complain whatsoever. You know, like we almost never actually throughout our relationship, like in the last five years, we've only had about three fights, three fights total. Um, beyond that like she's just always been supportive like even though we've had hard times like everything just yeah she's just always been a staple um in in probably one of the more tumultuous times of my life she was something that wasn't something i had to worry about you know like i hate talking about her as like a concept and as a thing but like it in that regard there was no emotional stress coming from our relationship and to not have that emotional stress coming from the relationship, in fact, it relieving stress was I, I just like a huge world of difference. You know, like when I'm worrying about my finances, when I'm worrying about my career, but I don't have to worry about my personal relationship with my girlfriend. Like it was such a huge like sigh of relief. It was a great kind of like getaway and escape from all the stress just to be with her for an hour or two or something and her and so, always supporting you through those things right like, exactly prob- probably reassuring you that everything's gonna be all right because that's what my girlfriend does she's like it's okay it's gonna be okay we're gonna figure it out we're gonna work through this and that is one of the best feelings that you could probably ever have yeah exactly exactly and so like now i get to return the favor you know like i'm like i'm not making obscene amounts of money in any way but i'm living much much more comfortably like orders of magnitude more comfortably than I was two, three years ago. And so now that does like, I mean, I, I get to finally pay her back for like all the support she's like giving me is like, Hey, now I want you to go after the career that you want to go after. So let me do this for you now. And you know, you don't worry about money this time and let's, let's do this. And so, yeah. Okay. Well, I like to end on a happy note, especially after everything in there. And I think that is probably one of the happiest notes that we can end on. Um, do you have any shout outs that you want to give? Um, you know, um, to everybody that's grinding back in esports, you know, I, I, I came from a, you know, like kind of very grassrootsy kind of tier three ish scene to get to where I am today and I have not forgotten forgotten anyone. It's been amazing to see the growth of a lot of the people that I've like come up with. And so just uh, uh shout out to people like Bill Jump Carter, you know, who's been helping me out here navigate esports after contenders. Um uh, shout out to like Dogman, you know, like he's he's now in ATL and that's fucking awesome. Like I knew him from like back in collegiate and he was trying to make it uh through like the tier two scene of overwatch and stuff shout out to content creators like you like kick tripod um all the broadcast.gg people that are putting in the work like uh i don't i feel like a lot of people that are making this kind of stuff that are doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes um also just not in the spotlight don't get enough uh kind of recognition so just shout out to everybody that's on the grind right now okay and then one last question if you could see anyone on the show casters talent behind the scenes people who would you pick you know i'd go with dogman i'd go with dogman okay well ladies and gentlemen you heard it for from jamerson himself 
This has been Deep Dives in the Minds of Esports, and I hope everyone has a wonderful day. Thank you.